Hello and welcome to the Junior League of Cincinnati podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Junior League Archives Committee. My name is Emma Moorhart, and I hope you all enjoy this chat I had with Susan Shelton. If you have any suggestions on which member you think we should talk to next for the podcast, please email us at archives at jlcincinnati.org. Okay, so we'll start with sort of, you know, the easy questions. When did you join? I have been a proud member of the Junior League for so many years that I cannot remember the first, the actual year that I joined. Yeah. But I think it was in 1998 because I was pregnant, as I recall, with my second child. Okay. Yeah, so... Was Cincinnati your first chapter? It, it's my first and only chapter Aww, so far. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, why did you join? How did you hear about it? I heard about the Junior League through a mutual friend and was interested in joining because I heard about the history of the Junior League and the impact that it's made in the community. And I really like to volunteer. So I thought it would be a great combination of volunteering, meeting other women, and um, just doing something powerful together. Mm-hmm. What was the first committee you were on? Oh, my first, well, as a, as a new member, I was on the Fernside Committee. Okay. And then my first active placement was in program development. So I grew up really as a young member on the project side of the Junior League. And Lauren Thayman, who is a past president, was the chair of the committee. And she did a great job with training and including all of us and learning about the process. And the first guest speaker she had at a committee meeting who was um, there to train us uh, was Darlene Kamine, who talked to us about the power of the Junior League and the impact that it's had over these many years. So sort of your inspiring first few years. Yes, yes. And who would know? And you know who would know that? You know, I consider them close friends now. Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite committee? A favorite committee? That's hard. I because I've done a lot of different things, both as an active and sustainer. And I think my favorite thing isn't necessarily the committee, but. The fact that no matter our backgrounds or how old we are, how much experience we have, we all learn from each other. And that I've seen the way the Junior League can really open doors in the community and make a difference for families. It's really amazing. So I think that's my favorite thing about it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a a favorite event? A favorite event. A volunteer event or a Junior League event? Well favorite event? That's a good question. Um, I love the the community impact events that we have, of course, and there's an event that we used, I don't know if we still do it, but we did it with Can Do, uh, with connecting to our project, Mind Peace, uh, and we would do a Halloween party, since it's that time of year, (laughs) at the uh, psychiatric facility at Children's Hospital. And I loved the fact that we could see our project uh, in an event that we did and see and work with children. I also really enjoyed helping with fundraising events, and those are really critical 
because we need to fundraise in order to help do the work of the projects in the community. And fundraising, I think, is often a um, thankless task. Uh, it's, uh, it's really difficult to plan an event that meets all the goals and you know, gets everyone uh, also excited about the league and the community and so on. So uh, a few of the events in the past that um, have been, I think, really fun were Sensation. I love Tour of Kitchens, which is this Saturday. Um, so there's all kinds of events like that that are so fun, too. So you said um, Candu did a connecting uh, project with Mindpiece. Is that ongoing or? It was for many years, and I apologize because I don't know if that's an event this year that we continue with. But it started when we did the project with Mindpiece as the project of the Junior League, and then just continued because of our uh, close relationship with Cincinnati Children's Hospital. But. Um, I think that it, it at least ran for probably 10 years or more. Oh, okay. And when was Mindpiece the project for the Junior League? So Mindpiece uh, began as a project in 2002, although program development began working on it a little bit before that. So we did do the needs assessment at that time, and we learned that uh, a fact that we kind of, all of us involved, would talk to the community and our members about was that we had more psychiatric emergency room visits by kids in Cincinnati than any other city in the country because we had not because we had more kids with brain disorders or mental health illness but because we had so little access to care and at that time period uh, we were really having a national crisis around children's mental health and it was really brave of the Junior League to step out because at that time it was, there was a, still a huge stigma around mental illness. Uh, and so, in fact, when we um, presented the project for vote to the Junior League, uh, we received anonymous letters from our members in support of the project, telling of their own journey. Uh, in one instance, a member told of her daughter who had depression, and the opening line of the letter, which I still have today, and in fact read at a large uh, community meeting with Mind Peace this year, um, it, it started, there are no casseroles at our door. And it was very powerful about how they were living kind of in darkness without support of the community and didn't really know where to turn. And uh, there was another letter about a league member who had a son who was quite young and were severely um, mentally ill and had really to make some really horrible choices about where they were going to live and how to access services and that was a member she couldn't really tell anyone that she wrote this letter in support of mind peace and so, all the letters were anonymous they were all anonymous because of the stigma of mental illness do you think that stigma still exists as much i think the stigma is much much better but i think there still is sometimes fear about uh, what people will think or if uh, it will stay in your record um, in employment or in readiness for college and if that would make a difference. But it is so much better. And especially with the young people, I mean, with kids, they are talking about their challenges openly and seeking help openly. It's really great. Good. So how new was Mind Peace at the time or how old? 
So my piece was a little different in the history of our league. As you know, the Junior League has really been an incubator or an accelerator of nonprofit projects. Typically, we were an accelerator. We'd get ideas from the community that met an, an unmet need um, that from our needs assessment, and then we would accelerate that idea, you know, provide mentoring and resources, maybe board members, and you know, just guidance about how to make that, make that idea or that organization come to life bigger, better. At that time, for MindPeace, we actually came up with the idea ourselves because there was such a large gap. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, we need respite services or there aren't enough uh, treatment beds at the hospital. It was, there were so many things that were um, missing that we decided to come up with a solution in partnership with the community. So therefore, we were really incubating an idea and so we helped we really co-created uh, a project uh, with our community partners who were some of those community partners well I, I guess once the project was approved in 2002-2003 um, uh, we actually spent about I don't know six months time going around to many different community members to talk to them about the needs and see if they would join forces with the Junior League. So the very first partner was Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And they, at that time, were looking at the number of children who were coming to the hospital in crisis and how they would address mental health. There are very few children's hospitals still today that actually address mental health problems, so they were really ahead of their time. So it was kind of like a tipping point because three organizations were doing some amazing things. So the Junior League was. <laughs> Cincinnati Children's was making a decision to support kids in mental health, which was big. That's when College Hill on the west side of town was created. And now 20% of the beds at Cincinnati Children's are for kids with mental health uh, needs, which is very unusual. And then the other organization that we partnered with very early on was Cincinnati Public Schools, who was creating community learning centers which are really the best community schools in the country. And one of the big pieces of that was empowering citizens in their neighborhoods to be able to say what their needs are and choose the direction for their school and also choose who their partners would be. So when we, the Junior League and our community, came up with how we would develop a system for mental health care in Greater Cincinnati, school-based mental health services were a key component and because Cincinnati Public Schools created community learning centers and were letting neighborhoods decide who the partners would be for school-based mental health services it helped it, be, it was a big tipping point for really empowering families to choose who their mental health partners would be instead of them being decided by principals or someone they knew on who those partnerships would be. So it was just looking back on it, really interesting. The fact that the Junior League was so, you know, values, so values collaboration, and that we went to these partners at the very time that they were also re-looking at mental health and re-looking at partnership and how schools would function. 
it, the fact that that happened all at the same time was just really amazing. It helped us really kind of elevate our systems work to a different level. And uh, so it was, you know, just really, we were sort of lucky, but I think it's because of the value the Junior League has placed on not presuming to know what communities need, but in working with partnership. And if you look at our 100-year history, really, in all the project work, we've really done that year over year over year. Yeah. Do you think there are other ways, I'm sure there are, that the interests of the Junior League and the interests of organizations like MindPeace overlap? Well, so the interests do overlap sometimes. So for MindPeace, remember when I said that the um, League had to anonymously talk right. about the needs? This actually, the work that we did with MindPeace positively impacted our own members. Yeah. Uh, from members who had you know, children who need, needed services and didn't know where to go to actually work that people were doing. I mean, we have members that changed their careers because of this work. Um, so in that way, it overlapped. There was a member um, who uh, started in one career, and then she ended up as a sustainer joining uh, the, the committee. Her, her name's Julie Webster. And she became so impassioned about the work that the Junior League was doing that she ended up becoming a family advocate for Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And I think that she actually started the first family advocacy program there, which has now become a standard across every single division in the hospital. So I myself changed my career too. Oh yeah? uh, Yeah. And I was, uh, when I was a volunteer as a member, when we were at the project stage, I am an electrical engineer with an MBA and uh, was working in high-tech electronics at the time um, and consulting and doing some things like that, but I was in the for-profit world, uh, so very different, and I became very passionate about my piece and the needs that we were seeing because I really couldn't go anywhere without members and friends of people calling or stopping me and literally saying, you know, in secret, my husband, my child, you know, my friend need help and we don't have any place to go. So, wow. so can you describe your role at MindPeace now? Yes. Um, so MindPeace launched as a nonprofit in 2008 after the Junior League did a great job with transitioning the work that we had done into a nonprofit. And that was actually led by Melanie Chavez and Lisa Hubbard, who were co-chairs of MindPeace at the time. And they led that effort. Um, it was really well, well done. So it helped us when we launched MindPeace, MindPeace as a nonprofit. It really helped us to get off on the right foot, you know, and have some really solid uh, plans on what we were going to do. So I became the executive director. And we started out just, I started out part-time working with the partnerships that we had and really the planning that the Junior League members did stayed true and continues to this day as as our, you know, really roadmap for the work that we've done. Um, And our mission, which still holds true from the work that we did as Junior League members to today, is to develop a system of care for children and 
adolescents in Greater Cincinnati, and we focus on two areas, um, the expansion and improvement of school-based mental health partnerships and working with pediatricians. And when you think about a system of care for mental health, I think about neighborhoods across Greater Cincinnati and families there being able to access services in their um, neighborhoods and then easily access the right services at the right time that are seamless and affordable. And so families often will go to pediatricians as a first line of defense and then they'll often access school because that's a place where kids are a lot in at young ages now with preschool. Mm. Um, and so uh, if we have linked together school partnerships across every neighborhood in Greater Cincinnati and pediatricians, all of a sudden now we have real access to care. And not only that, but we have an infrastructure that's connected so that, because MindPeace is also a learning community, if we have a problem or something new that we need to roll out across all of our partners in Greater Cincinnati, we have a way to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just one-offs, everybody in silos standing by themselves. Mm -hmm. And again, that's really linked to the original work that was done by the League, but also Cincinnati Public Schools and their community learning centers and thinking about how we create, you know, really access at the neighborhood level, but then connectedness so we can worry about quality, capacity, all kinds mm -hmm. of big issues. And the role of MindPeace is to help facilitate and accelerate and agitate <laughs> to make sure that any school community who really wants these kinds of partnerships or any pediatricians who need help can get to that. Do schools ever come to you for help about how they can train school employees to sort of notice signs in children? Yes, they do. And in fact, what usually happens is a school community will identify that mental health is a, access to mental health is a need. And when they do that, they talk to each other usually and then are recommended to talk with MindPeace because we've created this big collaboration. Um, when we started, we started at Cincinnati Public, but it's grown to 22 school districts, 175 schools, and about 100,000 children have access to care. So when we put a partnership in place through uh, the community choosing that partner, and we facilitate that, proce that process, one of the first things that happens is training of the school staff and parents, and in high schools, sometimes students themselves, on what the signs and symptoms are of uh, children and teenagers uh, for needing mental health services. And a lot of parents and teachers want to know what the difference is between normal, normal childhood development, normal in quotations, right? Um, but childhood development and what's outside of that. What should people be concerned about? And the data shows that the earlier a child accesses services, the better the outcomes. And also that a school-based approach is so much better because a therapist goes to work in the school five days a week and so when a child is having a problem it doesn't often coincide with an office-based appointment even though that's perfectly great to, to use an office-based um, provider but you know if you're having a problem on you know Monday and you know that you can go in to the school on Tuesday 
and talk to the therapist and tell them what you've, you're thinking or seeing and get their advice. That's so much better than having to schedule an appointment and wait a week or two and then find out something. And then the other thing is the therapist is integrated into the life of the, of the community, so they have context for a student's problem. They see the friends and you know, the teachers and can work together as a team, always with the parents' consent, um, and be able to really you know, put together, I think, a stronger treatment plan because it's a community solution and not just you know, limited information uh, from an office. But again, the goal of my piece is for kids to get access to quality care. So it's always about family choice and if a family prefers to do something different than school-based, that is great. It's no problem. So um, we just want kids to have access. Right now in the nation, 25 to 50% of kids get access to care who need it. And in my piece, in our community, with our collaboration, we're hitting like 75, 76%. Our benchmark is 80%, so we're close. We're working hard to get to Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we can do to get the nationwide level up past 25 to 50? Well, uh, continuing to work on the lessening the stigma so families and uh, children and teens feel comfortable with talking. Um, having uh, systems in place that are similar to what we're doing in Cincinnati. Um, and we have a lot of people across the country who have looked at what's happening here in Cincinnati, especially again because of the, um, the community learning centers with Cincinnati Public Schools, uh, just to see, hey, what are they doing? How can they do this? Uh, because one of the big things is that these partnerships are financially self-sustaining. So that means that we don't have to use educational dollars to fund these services. It's about access to care, and families use their public insurance or their private insurance or in some cases where there's really, you know, a, an instance where the business model isn't working, then that's when we can go to our funders and say, hey, we need a grant for this very small population of students who really don't have public or private monies to do that. And we work together as a team to get, you know, access. So I think that really a lot of people have been looking at the work that we've been doing and replicating that. Um, and then the other thing is there's been some great work, advocacy work recently, um, and my piece had, did a lot of advocacy in the beginning days of our project. Uh, at junior League members helped to get insurance parity passed in Ohio, which was a big, a big deal. And right now we're helping with getting social emotional curriculum in schools so that you know, we can get to the prevention um, as much as possible of yeah. mental health issues. Yeah, and I'm sure that just the prevalence of how much you do in the community helps with the stigma. I think for kids a lot of times stigma is probably that they don't see something around them. They don't have anyone talk to them about it. So they think there must be something wrong with it. Well, I think that's why school-based mental health partnerships are so wonderful because Seeing it, uh, you know, if you're in school and you see a mental health therapist there, and they're no, you know, they're just part of the team. So there's a nurse, and there's a mental health therapist, and there's mm -hmm. a school counselor, and your teacher, and your principal, and everybody talks to each other. It seems very, you know, normal and integrated, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. So what was it 
maybe other than all the things we've already talked about, <laughs> that made you leave your career as an electrical engineer and, and start doing this? If you could pinpoint one thing. It was, I think, the opportunity to make such a difference in our community that really made me take the leap, which it was a leap, you know. It was very exciting to know that because of the Junior League, you know, really at high levels in our community from a system standpoint, that we could really affect how care was being delivered to so many kids. And to think that you have this dream, and I mean you, I mean the Junior League you, uh, you know, I remember the meetings that we had up in the auditorium. Uh, Angie Carl, who's a sustainer, was a facilitator. Darlene Kmine was my advisor when I was chair of Mind Peace in the first year. And we had other, you know, many other, the, 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 the project was five years going with so many chairs. I was a chair in the first year and stayed as a volunteer the full five years, but not in a leadership position as chair. But Darlene stayed along the entire time. Uh, Angie was uh, involved, uh, gosh, I think for at least three years in facilitating many of the community meetings and so on. So it was just interesting as a member, a young member, to be able to see, wow, you know, the community really believed that the Junior League could make a difference, put their faith in us, and so because they did that, I felt like it was really important to try to carry it on. And I was really proud to do that. Um, and I just felt like it was just really hard to turn away from the opportunity to, you know, also, you know, just help kids, which as an engineer, I, I love the work that I was doing, but it was just very different. And I could also apply my kind of problem solving and business background in a for-profit world to a not-for-profit world and uh, kind of, you know, make, you know, provide value, you know. Um, so I think those were probably some of the reasons. Is just, I felt very lucky and honored to be asked to do it. So how can, I'm a pretty new Junior League member in general, as I was in a different chapter before this, um, but I've still only been in Junior League for about three years total. So how can a new Junior League member like me find that thing that they really want to do like you did or that committee they want to stick with or really make the most of being in junior league right well you're probably a lot like all of us where you you don't say no <laughs> that's true <laughs> but um i found that it was really wonderful first of all i liked to choose different jobs in the junior league to get experience and so even though I grew up on the project side, I also spent some time uh, with nominating as a VP of communications um, in um, some help in fundraising and so on. So I think it's important to try things. Sometimes we go to what we know and then you know we don't really learn as much new. But I do think um, having an experience on the project side is important. So you can also see kind of firsthand um, what our impact is. And I think the other piece is that if you have an idea, you know, don't be shy about what that idea is. That's the other thing I've found that 
so many of our members have really great ideas. And that's, I, I mean, whether it's, you know, externally in the community or doing something better here at the, with the league. But I think don't be afraid to say to someone on the EMT or the board, hey, you know, I'm interested in this. What do you think? And you'll be surprised at how many people can either point you in the right direction or just give you that opportunity. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. yeah? Well, and it's like you said before, the Junior League is brave in taking on sort of a stigmatized project. And I think I've noticed that too, the Junior League is brave. It's really important because when we do work in the community, we're supposed to be doing picking our history anyway, is I feel, is to pick gaps, really the gaps. So there are a lot of needs in the community, but where are the gaps? And the gaps could be that because no one else is doing the work, that's obviously a gap. But another gap is who, who is maybe being ignored? You know, what area could we make a difference because people maybe wouldn't expect the junior league to be involved? Um, because it's difficult and it kind of shines light on, on groups that maybe aren't getting the help that they need. I just think it's interesting to how, like you were saying, how we find those gaps. Yeah. You know, because an issue can be stigmatized, but not necessarily be a gap. Right. It's that combination. I think it's really important for the Junior League to continue doing those needs assessments every two or three years because it serves really two purposes. One is to educate our members about what's going on in our community uh, in general and where the gaps are so they can maybe get involved also in some things that are happening, not just with the Junior League, but other areas. Um, and then it helps us really narrow down where we should either be asking for ideas from the community or maybe we do have to come up with an idea ourselves. Usually we should be able to ask the community, just like we did in this last process when we were uh, going through program development and then partnered with Sweet Cheeks mm -hmm. and we're accelerating that. You know, what a great partnership that is. Yeah. But um, it's really amazing to see the longevity of our projects when we do this in this in this way of identifying where the real meaningful work is because when you look at some of our projects that are still going strong you know it shows that boy they the ideas had legs and we were really able to put these projects on great footing and the same thing has happened with Mindpiece. We have a great board of directors, uh, a need for us continues and we're providing really great, I think, you know, service both to schools, communities, pediatricians, families. Our website, I've got to plug the website, you know, <laughs> www.mypeacecincinnati.com. But that has all the mental health resources for kids and adolescents and young adults in greater Cincinnati. So if people need to figure out where do I get help? They can do that or they can call our office and we have staff members to help them. And then on our website, we have all the school partnerships. Um, but we're also doing other work around systems, that whole piece that, you know, again, in our own auditorium, we came up with the community members sitting there. You know, we wanted to develop a seamless system of care that was financially self-sustaining, of quality, and so on. And that's exactly what we're still doing today. So I don't go anywhere when I don't talk about, you know, if I'm asked to give an introduction about my piece, I give the two-minute 
how did we start with Junior League? You know, we were started by the Junior League, and the Junior League is probably the oldest nonprofit incubator in Greater Cincinnati. That's our centennial, 100 years old. Yeah. It's amazing. How many, or maybe we know, how many projects like Mindpiece there are that Junior League started? So we either accelerated or started, I think, over 120 projects. Wow. And they're so, you know, wonderful from so many areas, whether it was culture, the arts, health, yeah. education, and so on. And our exhibit right at the Cincinnati Museum Center in partnership with them is a great tribute to that work. And that exhibit is open until June 1st. Yeah. Well, I don't think I have other questions. Is there anything, any parting words? I'm just very grateful to the Junior League for the opportunity to be able to make a difference and have had something to do with starting Mindpiece and then carrying on on the Junior League's legacy, I hope, uh, with the work that we're doing now. And it's really been just so amazing to, I think back many, often really, um, about the meetings we had when we first started Mindpiece and all the work that planning that we've done and how it's all come to life and the work still continues. Uh, so many children and families have been positively affected because of the Junior League. I think I mentioned earlier that you know a hundred thousand children have access to care that wouldn't otherwise have that you know possibility of help. And so I feel like we should be all so proud of just continuing that legacy. Um, and then from a personal standpoint, I've had family members, you know, more recently who needed help. And so it really has changed my perspective from one of, you know, helping anonymous members, helping the community to seeing it, you know, affect my own family. And uh, that's been really powerful too. So I'm just really grateful to the Junior League. Great, thank you.